0: If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to open up and to turn to 1 John, First John chapter three. First John chapter three going to begin in verse ten. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain. Who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for your word today. ask that you give us understanding of your word and application for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. What do you want to be known for today? What do you want to be known for? All of us want to be known for something. At work, we want to be known for something. In our family, we want to be known for something. All of us are in pursuit throughout life to be known for something. And what you want to be known for drives what you do. It drives how you behave. It drives the way you think. And all of us, whether we like it or not, are already known for stuff. When you gather here today, you're known for things. Maybe it's for, for the way you look, a physical appearance that's been passed down through your family's generations. Maybe you're known for something specifically that's a family trait. Maybe your family has a weird laugh, and every time you show up, they know that you're part of family X because of the way you laugh. Some of you this morning would like to get rid of some of your traits of what you're known for. All of us are known for something, and usually it's things that are passed down to us by our parents. Christians are known for stuff. If you went around town today and started to ask people, what are Christians known for? What's the church known for? You'd get a variety of answers talking about different things. Well, the question for us today is, what does Jesus want us known for? What does Jesus want us known for? And does that line up with what we want to be known for? Today's non-negotiable from 1 John chapter 3 and John chapter 13 is that followers of Jesus should be known for their love life. Followers of Jesus should be known for their love life. And, And we sing about this, we talk about this. This is even popular phrase that it's all about love. Yet it always still comes back to love. That followers of Jesus are to be known for love. But before we get too much into talking about what is love, we have to put love in the proper context. You see, love is a fruit. Love is not the foundation for our entrance into God's family. Or, in other words, love is the sign of eternal life. It's not the ground to receive eternal life. If you look with me in First John chapter three, if you look with me at First John chapter three, verse ten, it says to us that. By this it is evident who are the children of God. In other words, it's saying to us, hey, this is how you know who the children of God are. And then it goes on to tell us at the end of the verse, nor is the one who does not love his brother. That's who's not a child of God. So, so our love is evidence that we are children of God. If you go down a little bit further into verse 14, verse 14 says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. In other words, love is evidence that we've received eternal life. Love does not get us into eternal life. Love is not a work we perform, but rather love is a fruit of the life we have in Christ. We have to put love in its proper context. The only message in the Bible to people who are not following Christ is repent and believe. That's the message to non-followers of Christ. It's Repent, turn around, start trusting in God, look to God for your purpose in life, look to Jesus for your forgiveness, and believe in Jesus. Repent and believe is the only message to non-followers. The message of love is one to those who have repented and are living a life of faith, because love is a fruit of our life in Christ. It's evidence that we've been transferred from the state of Satan into the state of Jesus. Love is. Is a fruit, When we talk about love this morning, we need to understand what is the essence of this love. What is the essence of this love that's supposed to be the distinguishing characteristic of our lives? The essence of love is found in the definition of love. If you look in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, we get the definition of love. It says to us, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Love is what? Love is laying down life, or in other words, love is sacrifice. At the heart of love, according to Scripture, is sacrifice. It's service. It's putting the needs of others before your own. We find this love lived out in the pattern of Jesus Christ's life. And that's how love is defined for us here in 1 John chapter 3. It's the life and the death of Jesus. If you look at our lives, our lives have patterns to how we behave, to how we think. Someone could look at your life today and they could find a pattern of how you behave on a regular basis. Well, our life is supposed to have the royal pattern. The royal pattern. The royal pattern is really the love of God. The royal pattern is the love of God. And then there's the other pattern that's exemplified in our scripture today by the person of Cain. And you could call that the worldly pattern. Our life either has the worldly pattern or the royal pattern. The question is, which pattern is it? The worldly pattern, if we look at the life of Cain, what happened with Cain? Cain was a a person in the Old Testament. Cain had a brother. He got jealous of his brother because his brother's sacrifice was acceptable before God. Cain gets jealous because what? His brother's works are better than his. And so the jealousy leads to what? The jealousy leads to hatred, and then hatred leads to the physical act of murder. So the worldly pattern is really focused on comparison, comparing my life to others. The worldly pattern really produces jealousy, guilt, envy, greed. And then the worldly pattern produces things like physical acts of murder. Whereas the royal pattern, the royal pattern is what? Putting the needs of others before our own needs. Everybody in here today has a pattern. The question is, what pattern is it? The worldly pattern is best probably described by teenage boys when they run outside of a building. I remember back when I was doing youth work on Wednesday nights and every time we'd leave the church on a Wednesday night to go to Wendy's, right when you stepped outside the church door, the first word you almost always heard was what? You went to the first service. Cheap yeah. thing. <clears throat> shotgun, right? All the boys want to sit where? Shotgun. I never once, never once heard somebody come around right the door and say, back seat. Everybody wants shotgun, right? Everybody wants to be in the front seat. Well, shotgun is really the theme of the worldly pattern saying, hey, I want to be up front. Hey, it's about me. I want to be next to the driver, or I want to be the driver. Whereas the royal pattern is what? I'll take the back seat. Because the back seat, is we're saying to someone else, you before me. And that's the essence of love. The essence of love is back seat, because it's putting someone before ourselves. Love is really the mindset and a heart condition where we constantly consider others that leads to the action of sacrifice to meet their needs. That's a mouthful. Let me say that again. Love is a mindset and a heart condition that considers others that leads to sacrificial action to meet the needs of others. It's a, love is a mindset and a heart condition. So often we separate the mind from the heart In the Bible, when we see the words heart or or soul, really the focus is on your whole being, with all that you are, who you are as a person. And love is is something that takes up our whole person. It's part of our mind. It's part of our heart. It's our whole being thing that ultimately leads to what? Physical action. Love always leads to sacrificial action. That's how we know love, is through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. The essence of love is considering others and then that leads to sacrificial action to meet their needs. This morning, all of us here have opportunities to express this love to others. And, and we may say to ourselves, well, hey, 1 John 3.16 says we need to lay down our lives for one another. That's just setting up this large ideal. So love is kind of this big idea. Well, look with me at 1 John 3, 17. So it, it, it defines love through the death of Jesus Christ, but notice what happens right in verse 17. In verse 17, it moves right into the practical. It says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So it moves right from love being defined by the death of Jesus Christ. You might say, well, I'm not going to die for anyone, so therefore I don't, I'm not going to love anyone. No, no, no. Love is met in the daily needs where we look to serve other people. Love is not some high ideal in the clouds. And this is basically what love has become, right? We say we love everything, so therefore what? Love means nothing. What's the last thing you said you loved? Pizza in? Or some of you probably woke up today, What? I love the Vikings. After an 0 4 start, no one will probably be saying that after today. But that's what we use the word love for, right? We use the words love for that. Well, what does that really mean? What does it mean to love the Vikings? So since we use love for everything, love really ends up meaning nothing. When in reality, love is a functional, practical reality. It, It has specific meaning in that we look to meet the needs of others love is not a feeling that we get nowhere in scripture is love correlated with a feeling it it will produce a feeling when i have an attitude when my mind is set on something and my whole being has an attitude of something it's going to bring about a feeling but the feeling follows behind And that's why we struggle so much. A lot of times we say we fell out of love. Biblically speaking, it's impossible to fall out of love. Biblically speaking, it's impossible to fall out of love because love is a conscious decision to have a mentality, a heart condition that considers others that then leads to sacrificial action. Is love going to bring about feelings? Absolutely but it follows this mentality and this heart condition. Love should be a functional reality in our lives, not just some high ideal that we pursue once in a while. This morning, all of us do stuff for certain reasons. So, how do you work? You work based upon what? How work was modeled for you growing up or when you started your job? however your boss trained you, you work as you were trained or you work as it was modeled for you. Today, you raise your children how? As you were raised, right? I mean, you try and tweak it a little bit. I mean, all of us try and tweak it a little bit, but if we're really honest with ourselves, that's what we do. It's as been done to us. That's what we continue to do unless we make a conscious effort, effort to do it differently. How we act, How we think is always what? As has been done to us or will be done to us. So how we love is what? How we've been loved. But where Jesus tells us this is drastically different, Jesus does not say, hey, disciples, go out in love as you have been loved. Go out in love as people respond positively to you. Go out in love when you feel like it no jesus says in john chapter 13 he says a new commandment i give to you love one another as i have loved you so the basis of our love for one another is not how we've been loved the basis for our love is not how people respond to us but the basis for our love is god's love for us and this is drastically different because when we love people the response is not always going to be positive But yet Jesus continues to say, continue to love them. How many of you struggle with loving someone that's unlovable or unbearable? All of us at some point have people in our lives, right, that just drive us nuts at every turn, every word. They're basically unbearable. And and our feelings would say what? Ignore. Our feelings would say what? When you run into them at the drinking fountain, Don't be patient. Be really quick. Fine, but quick, go. Don't be kind because if you're kind, what? Well, you might have to spend more time with them. But but what Jesus says is love as he has loved. His love was not dependent upon our response. It tells us in Romans chapter 5 that for even though while we were still sinners, God loved us. While we were still God's enemies, God loved us in Christ Jesus. He did not wait for our response. He did not wait for a, for a positive feeling, but rather he initiated that love. The love of God is an initiating love. It's one that, that goes. It doesn't wait. And it's one that doesn't depend upon response, but it continues to love, even with a bad response. So often our love life is dependent upon the response to the love we extend. But as followers of Jesus Christ, Our love life does not depend upon the response or depend upon the initiation of others. Our love life depends upon the love that God has extended to us. And now as followers of Christ, we're called to go and extend that love to one another. We have an opportunity everywhere we go to create an environment of love. And this leads us to our first practical application this week. Our first PAT this week is this, to examine each of our contexts to examine each of our contexts and what I mean by that is this we need to look and ask ourselves how's my love life in my workplace how's my love life in my neighborhood how's my love life with my family we need to examine each context and and think with me for a second outside of the normal thinking think of yourself as a big bubble And and wherever you go, let's say you've got this 8 to 10 foot bubble. So at work all day long, what do you have? You've got this big bubble or this big environment that you're taking with you. My question is this. When people enter into your bubble, what environment are they experiencing? You can't control the environment outside of you. You can't control the environment that that person is going to produce. You can't control how they're going to respond to the environment that you're putting them in. All you can control is the environment that you're trying to produce. The question is this, what type of environment is that? Do you have a safe bubble zone? Do you have a bubble zone that's filled with patience and kindness? Do you have a bubble zone that does not rejoice in wrongdoing? Let's think about this for a second. How often do we rejoice in other people's wrongdoing? Why? Because it elevates us, it elevates us to a higher position, and rejoicing in someone else's wrongdoing allows us to what? Take a back seat a little bit to someone noticing our wrongdoing. Now, let's just think hypothetically for a moment, and let's think of the context of marriage for a second. In marriage, is probably one of the first places you do what? Rejoice in your spouse's wrongdoing. Why? because then you can do wrong. Or at least you can hold it against them. Let's just imagine for a moment that you kind of have a rule at home that whenever there's dirty dishes, you do what? Put it in the dishwasher. You don't put it on the counter, you don't put it on the table, you don't put it in the sink. You immediately put it in the dishwasher. Let's imagine for a moment, she's not walking out because I'm lying. Thanks. 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 Let's imagine for a moment that, that you forget, that you accidentally forget to put the stuff in the dishwasher and you stack it on the counter and your spouse comes to you and your spouse says, hey, it goes in the dishwasher. Oh, what's the usual first one? Why do we have to worry about that thing? Well, the next day there happens to be a little plate on the table and guess what? This plate, let's just pretend, has pumpkin uh, cake little crumbs on it, right? Well, I don't eat pumpkin cake. Whose plate could this possibly hypothetically be on the table? And what do we do? Now, you're with me on this, I know. What do you do? You don't put the cake in the dishwasher, or the plate in the dishwasher. You point out, hey, there's a plate on the table in here, and I think it's got some carrot. I don't eat carrot. And then you kind of hold that, right? And what do you hold it for? The next time something gets mentioned about your dish, what do you say? Well, hey, do you remember there was a dish on the plate? A dish on the table a couple weeks ago? Just do this at work too, right? When an employee shows up a little bit late, well, hey, you were late to the meeting last week. So when they remind you that you're late, what's your usual first response? Well, you were late last week. Because what? We're determining what we do based off of what they do. And, and we're remembering that wrongdoing. That's not an environment. That's not a bubble of love. That's a bubble of, of, of remembering wrong. We're trying to create a safe place, a place where we extend patience and kindness, a place where we do not remember wrong, but rather we express care and concern. We need to examine each of our contexts and ask ourselves, how's my love life? How's my love life in my workplace? Am I extending patience and kindness? And here's the difficult part. You might be right. You might be exactly right and the person you're with might be exactly wrong. They may do something wrong. But we're still called to what? Love is Christ's love. What did Jesus do the last time you did something wrong? You're, you're here this morning. You weren't shot down with a lightning bolt. What did Jesus do? Jesus had patience, kindness, and, and slowly seeks for you To make a turn. And he asks us to love as he's loved. To have the exact same bubble. How's your bubble zone? And if we want to fix our bubble zone, what do we do? It leads us to our second PAT. And our second PAT, you might not think is really a PAT, but our second PAT is this. Abide in Christ. In other words, remain in relationship with Jesus. I can't tell you today, hey, go and try to love more. That's what the Argus leader does, right? Star Tribune, Fox News, they pro- everybody, even Oprah, what? Love, love more. And does it happen? It doesn't happen. It does not happen. They promote it. They spend millions of dollars to promote it. It does not happen. Why? Because love is the fruit of abiding in Jesus Christ. If you want to fix Your bubble zone. What you need to do is abide in Jesus. Because when we abide in Jesus or remain in Jesus, what comes out of us? Love. What comes out of us is love. Because what? We're in the presence of love. So what does it mean to abide in Jesus? What it means to abide in Jesus is to simply live as a follower, to to live a life of confession to Jesus, to live a life of prayer, to live a life soaked in His Word. So you're in his presence. To abide in Jesus is to be in community with other followers of Jesus Christ because we were not meant to go alone. But when we abide in Jesus, the natural outflow is going to be love. If you have a tree in your backyard and it's an apple tree and you walk out and all of a sudden it's not bearing apples, what do you do? You don't just go up to the leaf and say, well, if I get rid of this one leaf, We're going to start bearing apples. There's something wrong, right? And something wrong is not in the leaf. Something wrong is in the root system. If the tree starts to die, it's because it's not getting enough water or nutrients through the root system. And when the root system is healthy, what happens? You've got a healthy tree. For you and I to have a healthy bubble zone, a love zone, what do we need? We need a healthy person in that bubble. We need a healthy follower of Jesus Christ. And the only way to be healthy is to experience the love of God. Look with me at one final Bible verse this morning. 1 John chapter 3. Let's go back up to verse 1 in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 says, verse 1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Maybe your version, if you have the NIV, it says, See what kind of love the Father has lavished upon us. That that word there about given is all about just poured out upon us. This morning, God has lavished you with love. He's created you. He's given you the gift of life. God has died for you. And God continues to give you life each and every day, opportunity. God has lavishly loved you. And when we experience that lavish love of God, we can then express that love to one another. If you want to be a healthy follower of Christ, it begins by experiencing the lavish love of God in Christ Jesus. I'm so thankful that I'm married for a variety of reasons. But one of the reasons I'm thankful for being married is that when I go home, I never have to hear the question anymore, how is your love life? If you've got a young son that's away at college right now, the last thing you want to ask is how is your love life? You're never going to get an honest answer anyhow, but I got asked that all the time. How is your love life? Well, I don't know if I've ever been asked that question at church, though. When in reality, it's the first question we should ask of one another at church How is your love life? Why? Because followers of Jesus Christ should be known for their love life. How's your love life? Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for your love. God, thank you that you have expressed that love for us through the cross of Jesus Christ. This morning, God, I pray for each person that's here that you'd move upon their heart, that you, God, would bring them into your presence, that they would experience your love and express that love to one another. God, we pray this morning for each person that you'd move upon their hearts as they examine the different contexts in life. God, I ask that you would make them aware of different areas where their love life is weak, whether that be at work, at family, that church, in their neighborhood. God, make us aware of areas where we need to to increase our love, increase our action, our mentality of service. God, thank you for your patience with us. We give you all of the praise and all of the thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.